Welcome back to another episode of the Heart Speaks to Heart podcast, a product of Three Hearts Homestead. Today's episode is the final part of our conversation on Christian ethics in an online world. If you missed the first half of our conversation, you can find it on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can also find us at threeheartshomestead.com for more episodes, blog posts, recipes, articles, and much more. Previously, on Heart Speaks to Heart. If you have really good self-control, maybe you could get away with, like, telling yourself, okay, I'm going to set a timer, and for ten minutes I'm going to do this, and then I'm just shutting it off for the day. But I think that's really hard to do, because it's like, at least for me personally, like, the timer can go off, and I'm like, oh, but, like, one more second, and then it's, it's all downhill from there. So, here's a question, then. With all of these negatives, what is the good of social media? Why what why is it worth having? What good does it perform? Or what tool can it be that could be used for good? Do you see any hope for it at all? Um, can it be utilized or do Christians have no reason to be on social media? Do you think it's something that like we ought to avoid? I have to temper my um I'm not sure what the right word would be for that because there's a lot of different phrases you could use, but I have to temper myself in this because my initial reaction, my gut reaction is just abandon it all wholesale <laughs> and forget that it existed and walk away. But in a very real sense, in a world, in a society that is as saturated with social media as it is, I think looking deeper into it and finding good things is something I really struggle with personally. But when you really look at it and try and find value in it, I do think there is something to be said specifically when it comes to education. And teaching skills that maybe, you know, people can't afford to pay for in a class. Or, you know, I I think about things like, you know, in the homesteading sphere, kind of like we do, where it's like, well, I'm going to teach you to make this specific recipe or this kind of bread. Like, you know, a technique, a skill, something that maybe used to be common knowledge, but over the last couple decades has kind of been forgotten like maybe it's crocheting or knitting you know like there's so many excuse me wonderful tutorials online on how to learn different stitches different patterns on how to sew these kinds of things and I think there's a lot of good that can come from utilizing social media to acquire those skills that you can then utilize in your real life and work on developing and growing in these kinds of things. I think you can also say that it's a good thing in terms of evangelization, 
right? Like, because so many people have such a presence online, personally and otherwise. Like, it's really easy to just stumble across maybe Christian material about the gospel or, you know, faith in some capacity that maybe you wouldn't have found in your real life, right? Like maybe you randomly in the thumbnail stumbled across a video that talked about Jesus and you'd never heard about him before and you just sat there and went, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. And then that was your doorway and your kind of opening into Christianity or those kinds of things. I think there's a lot of good that can come from that as well. Um, but I, I still think that it has to be tempered a lot. And I think it depends on the kind of social media. There's some social medias that I think maybe just shouldn't exist. Um, specifically ones that were created for really nefarious purposes initially, and then kind of morphed into more of a fun kind of less depraved type of social media. Um, but you know, I think it, it just kind of depends on the kind of social media and what you're using it for. But I think there can be good in it. Although my initial reaction would be to say, no, we should just get rid of all of it. I have to acknowledge that, no, there is good there and that there can be reasons to utilize it. But I think there has to be a lot of discernment and prayer put into that beforehand. Right. To make sure as a Christian you're not getting dragged into a whole world of dangers that you otherwise could have avoided. Which... I'm going to ask you this question because I think it's something that is kind of near and dear to our hearts having a little one. But like, what's a good way to approach internet use when it comes to kids and then how to teach them like kind of the appropriate online ethics from a Christian perspective and temperance when it comes to dealing with the internet and social media and all of those things as they're growing up to keep them, one, protected from really dangerous things but also just to help foster a love of reality in the real world and not just wanting to live life virtually. Yeah, so a couple things in there to talk about. Um, first off, don't give your kids unbridled access to the internet. It's just a super dumb idea. There's so much stuff available out there. You've, you've got to protect what your kids have access to you've got to put restrictions on it um and there's good stuff out there um there's there's different programs out there some uh freeware even um i'm trying to remember what some of them are called right now so there's covenant eyes that's a really good one for helping monitor what your kids are getting access to but also putting blocks up on dangerous um, stuff that they could be accessing that they shouldn't have access to. Um, there's another one that I use for the computers and stuff in our house that um, I might include in the show notes. I cannot remember what its name is for the life of me, but basically um, it goes in through the the DNS for either your devices or for your network provider through your modem, stuff like that. 
and it has a decent database of different kinds of inappropriate content that it just won't let devices access um, up to and including it even has limitations on content within allowable websites so it'll it'll let you go into youtube but there are specific things within youtube that are constantly locked for instance it it forces any devices accessing youtube to being like a kid-friendly mode um something like that you can't change that on your own without knowing how to go in and change these settings and that one's actually a free one that i actually like quite a bit it doesn't have any monitoring attached to it so you won't be able to see if your kids are getting into any trouble unless you're just there to look over their shoulders in person but it's a very good blocker and i'll try and put the links to that in the show notes um but yeah don't don't give them unbridled access to this stuff they, they don't they don't know how to swim yet don't throw them in um, without some kind of safety devices around nearby you're asking for trouble you're asking for trouble if you do that and everyone wants to think that their kids are going to be better than that and they're not better than that they're curious and they're trying to figure out how the world works and they might barely be at the age of reason where they understand the difference between right and wrong and there's a lot going on and there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of marketing and money put into getting people addicted to the wrong kind of stuff on the internet and you gotta take a vested interest in preparing them for how to use the internet responsibly um you 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 can't trust them to handle this on their own you're throwing them to the wolves if you think you can do that so beyond monitoring and blocking I do just generally think it's a good policy to have limits on how much time kids can spend on the internet or just on computer technology, video games, stuff like that in general. And what age I think personally that they're allowed to start utilizing it. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to say something that you will maybe disagree with. This might be controversial. But I I almost am inclined to think that there are age appropriate ways to interact with more modern technology and the internet at most stages of life um starting maybe even around like i don't know somewhere between five and seven something like that maybe i don't know Uh, i there are a lot of people who don't want to let their kids have access to technology and internet and video games and that kind of thing And there are even more parents who are okay with their kids having that kind of stuff, just not starting at a young age. But I I think the key to raising well-formed kids who know how to interact with this stuff healthily is to walk with them um, from day one until the day that they are responsible enough to handle it on their own and to understand how to use these tools not not only in like how to use them proficiently, but to understand like what they're worth using for. Um, we we live in a world where computers are prolific. I don't know a single person who doesn't use them for their job at this point, at least part of the time, whether it's to look at material orders on equipment or even just to fill out their timesheet. Most people need computers for something. And if they don't, then they're probably using their phone, which is a computer in its own right. So having typing skills is super important. Um, Google has kind of come to be ubiquitous 
Um, no one has encyclopedias anymore. So what a sad oversight. Encyclopedias are so cool. Encyclopedias are very <laughs> cool, but they would be updated every like three months That's at true. the way technological development is happening currently. That That's also a sad reality. <laughs> that exponential growth rate has really been kicking us. But um but yeah, n- knowing how to use an encyclopedia used to be a skill. I remember when I was in middle school getting taught how to use encyclopedias that we needed for a research paper. I don't think it's a stretch to say that if Google's going to be the new encyclopedia that everyone's using, kids at a certain point ought to be trained on not only just using Google safely without finding bad stuff, but like how to use Google well, how to use the filters and search results that filter, yeah, sorry, search result filters and how to use different kinds of prompts to quickly find the information you're looking for how to write succinct google search prompts that will pull up what you need quickly and that might seem like a dumb thing but i've seen a lot of people who don't have that and it's just so much harder to find what you're looking for in a world without encyclopedias and without local experts on every given topic Google's kind of your only bet. And if you know how to craft a well-placed Google search, you can find a lot of stuff that would frustrate other people to no end. Um, that's, that's a skill I think everyone needs to have at this point in the game. If they're going to continue to exist in this computerized society, and unfortunately I don't see it going anywhere, <laughs> as, as much as I wish we weren't as dependent on it as we are, um, but yeah, just to, to have it modeled in the home, how to use technology efficiently when it's necessary, and modeling good restraints on it, modeling good um, limits on it. I see, I think that's a big part of it is that as the parent, or parents rather, there has to be an example set, just like in everything else, because... Regardless of what you try and teach the kids, if you try and teach them temperance, but it, you yourself don't have temperance, they're not going to learn temperance because mm-hmm. they're watching your example and actions speak louder than words. Yes. So there has to be that modeling, like you were saying. Of Well, I mean, you and I have talked about like what age we're going to let our kids have phones at, and we think we're being very traditional and not going to let them have smartphones at a certain point until... A certain age and all this kind of stuff but like we're on our phones around the house and our daughter sees us on the phone around our house to the point where she knows what a phone is and she reaches for it and someone gave her a remote like tv remote toy thing and she thinks it's a phone because we don't have a tv and she thinks it's a whole lot of fun because she thinks she has a phone because she thinks she can be like an adult now and it's like well we modeled something for her that she has picked up on as an almost two-year-old. And if we don't think that we can continue to... If, if we continue the way we're going to be, then yeah, she's going to be an annoyed, like, elementary school, middle school-aged girl who doesn't understand why she can't have a phone. Even if her other friends don't, we have them. And we use them for everything. So, like... 
we, th that change needs to start with us if we expect her to be chill with whatever it is that we end up imposing on them for their own technology stuff. Within reason. So that's a big part of it. And then, honestly, I think we need to emphasize using technology productively. Um, and I say productively, right? I don't just mean, like, how to use it well, because I just went down that rabbit hole. But I mean, like, productively in the sense that you're doing something with it. You're using it to make something or help you in some way, right? It's a tool. Um, there's... People aren't entertained by tools. People aren't passively entertained by tools. Um, no one just sits on a couch and looks at a hammer and feels entertained. Um, right? You, you, you pick up a tool and you do something with it, and you use it to achieve some end and some goal that exists outside of the tool. You don't use a hammer. I don't know why hammers are my only examples right now. Because you just really love to use a hammer. So, you know, you bought a box of nails and you found some square wood because, gosh darn it, you just love hammering things. Like, no, you probably have something you enjoy doing. Like, you enjoy building. Right? That directs an action. Building what? Building something that is not the tool. Um, so using technology to develop good typing skills, using technology to learn how to make videos about something you care about, like literature or religion, using like learning how to make good PowerPoint presentations because I don't know. I remember as a kid, we used to, like, make PowerPoint presentations as part of our computer class about all manner of things that weren't just for the sake of technology. It was so that we could learn this skill, but the medium for it wasn't just, oh, because computers are just so cool. The medium was, like, so that you can make a report for this paper for your class or for or something like I that. I think a lot of that goes back to education, though, too, because, you know, PowerPoints are utilized a lot when it comes to educating people about a specific thing. Either that's in school, college, or just, you know, kind of freelancing it out in the adult world where, mm -hmm. you know, you're going and giving presentations somewhere about a specific topic and doing things of that nature and giving talks. Right. Let me tell you about a new opportunity we are offering for our fans and supporters. You may know the podcast and the blog, but did you know that Three Hearts Homestead is on Locals? If you have ever wanted to engage with us online, chat with other fans of the homestead, or support us financially, this is a great way to do it. Sign up for free at threeheartshomestead.locals.com to see posts, updates, and content you won't be able to find anywhere else. A paid membership at any amount gets you access to additional perks, including the ability to write posts, see other people's comments, and access to live chat events and exclusive video content like our monthly Q&A, where we take questions directly from our supporters. Sign up between now and the new year and get one month of free access to our exclusive content by using code word COMMUNITY for a free trial. That's threeheartshomestead.locals.com, code word COMMUNITY, in all caps. Now, back to the show. But yeah, the, the, the people who know how to use technology as a tool are the people who are really proficient with Microsoft Office and 
know all the settings in Microsoft Word and how to make good PowerPoints and how to craft a very poignant Google search that brings up exactly the information they were looking for and like maybe knows basic computer coding, which is going to be an increasingly valuable skill for a really long time. I don't see that going away anytime soon, short of like global crisis or at least national crisis. Um, but like, these are all ways that technology can be used productively as a tool. Video editing, make sure the videos you're making are worth making. Make sure that it's serving some purpose, making sure that it's for the greater glory of God. But beyond that, like, yeah, that's, that's a tool. Mindlessly scrolling, you're not being productive. You're not, you're not using it as a tool. You're allowing it to babysit you. I think that's an interesting distinction, though. It's like this idea that in order to use the internet properly, we have to look at it as a tool rather than just a machine that can do things for us. We have to utilize it and harness its abilities to or towards a productive end on our part rather than letting it do everything for us. Which I think is more how it is intended to be used at this point. Maybe it didn't start out that way. But where it is today, I very much see it as kind of a labor-saving device, right? Like, it can do all of these things for us, so we don't have to worry about it. But that's not the proper mentality to take... When it comes to a tool, a tool is to be used by us to create or build something rather than to do all of that building for us. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to help us along the journey, not take over entirely. Right. Well, well, that's that's the that's the very carefully construed lie of the whole system, right? Is mm-hmm. that um, any kind of and use the phrase labor saving device, and in my mind, tools are labor-saving devices. That's fair. I I think I understand the nuance you were trying to get at. Um, But yeah, to engage with the internet, because it is a tool, the the, the lie is that we forget that it's a tool because people are actively trying to convince us that it's not a tool. Um, But we have to engage with it. We have to act upon it in order for it to do anything. And so the, the, the lie is in crafting that experience towards being able to provide you with a fascinating, wonderful, transfixing outcome on increasingly minimal um, input. Right? Because when it stops looking like we're using the tool in order to do something. If if the us using it part gets minimized and minimized and minimized and minimized so that we have to interact with it very minimally in order for it to do whatever it is that it does that fascinates us, it starts to look more and more like just something that the computer does. 
And that's where it goes from this tool mentality into this entertainment mentality where I just vaguely gesture to it something that I might possibly want to see and it pulls up a plethora of curated entertainment to show me based upon a single word of interest that passed through my mind kind of thing. That's that's when it starts to look more like entertainment than a tool, but it's always a tool, but it's trying to bring about this facade almost of being not that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's to, for this addictive mindset, for this addictive quality, for this consumerist mentality. Right. It's interesting. That's true. I think that kind of also brings to mind just a totally different topic that is a whole other can of worms, which is the consumerist mentality. Mm-hmm. And how that plays into so many things when it comes to the internet space specifically. Right. Well, so just as like a brief thing that I think about sometimes, right? It's like a bunch of the big wigs in technology right now. They encourage things like knowing how to code. They encourage things like knowing a lot of internet proficiency things. But when it comes to what the average person uses the internet for, aka entertainment, they kind of aren't up to date on those things. And I think that's fascinating because like your average teenager would judge whether someone is technologically literate based upon like whether they understand this, that, or the other thing about social media. This, that, or the other thing about YouTube. This, that, or the other thing about, like, whatever app it is that all the cool kids are using. But real technological literacy, especially as you can see from, like, the way CEOs of tech companies allow their kids to grow up, real technological literacy is knowing how to program things and knowing how to find information and, like... We've we've very much convinced ourselves that technological literacy correlates to knowing how to allow ourselves to be entertained by technology, and it's that's another interesting facet of it too. Is that not only do we let ourselves believe, or have we trained ourselves that it's used? predominantly for entertainment or should be used for entertainment because that's what we're told. But then you're seeing more and more this censoring, allowing only specific information to be shared. So it's also turning into not just entertainment, mindless scrolling, mindless internet searches, whatever it might be, but it's also turning into a very real problem where we can't always find information on things anymore based on what someone way up here decides we should or shouldn't see. Whether it be true or not, it's just not available anymore. In a world that is increasingly internet-based, as opposed to, you know, paper books. It's kind of a dangerous place to be in where you're starting to see just one ideology being allowed to be promulgated and nothing else. You know, like in 
an ethical sphere in an educated sphere and where people know how to think logically and determine what is true and what is false, they should be able to be given two sets of information and determine, based on analyzing those sets of information, what is correct and what is not. But we live in a world where certain people don't think we have that ability or they don't want us to have that ability and therefore it becomes this sounding box for just one idea. And I think that gets really dangerous and I think that can potentially negate in the future, depending on how things go, the usefulness of researching things on the internet. Because in order to make a sound decision on something, you have to be able to analyze both sides of an argument. And if you're not allowed to do that, you're not really researching. If that makes sense. And I think that's an interesting aspect of the internet, too, that a lot of people don't really want to talk about. Is like, there's the entertainment side, but then there's also increasingly the censorship side, where, like, we don't trust people to be able to think and make decisions. We just have to give them all the information. And that could be accurate information, that could be false information. It's just... You aren't given the ability to determine that because there's not two sides anymore. So we're running out of time for today. We've been recording for a little bit now. So before we sign off, um, two things. Um, first, what are some groups who uh, you think are using the internet well? Um, don't you think that they have a good relationship with it and are promoting it in the right ways? Um, if any come to mind at all, um, for the message that they're trying to get across. And then I have a prayer here that I would like to go back and forth praying with you. Um, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I would say, for example, EWTN, mm. um, they exist within the social media world and probably wouldn't exist outside of it right mm -hmm. they are a television network they do podcasting i believe as well they do radio news they're on a million different broadcasting systems their mission kind of exists within the social media sphere um so i'm there's, there's just been a ton of great evangelization work done through them um additionally uh, i think the was it the daughters of saint paul um they're a religious order of sisters part of the pauline family that have done um just a lot of good work on social media promoting the gospel, living the gospel where people online can see it in various social media endeavors. Um, I think they've done an amazing job as well. Um, 
trying to think if there's anyone else right off the top of my head. That was my problem. I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, there are other good groups advocating for proper use of technology. Uh, this prayer is the Pauline Offertory, and I'm pulling it from a prayer book that I got from the Holy Family Institute. It is a secular institute for married Catholics. Um, if you like this prayer, if it speaks to your spirituality, you can check them out at hfr iusa.org but um we'll just go back and forth um paragraph by paragraph here praying through this then we will bid everyone a good day um, in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen father in union with all those who today celebrate the eucharist i wish to offer myself a small victim with jesus the victim in atonement for error and scandal spread throughout the world through the misuse of the media of social communication. To appeal to your mercy for those persons who, deceived and seduced by the influence of these instruments, stray from your fatherly love. For the conversion of these persons who, in the use of these instruments, reject the teaching of Christ and his church, and thus warp the minds, hearts, and undertakings of men and women that we may follow him alone, who you, Father, in your boundless love, sent into the world, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. To acknowledge and to make known that Jesus alone, the Word incarnate, is the perfect teacher, the trustworthy way, who leads to knowledge of you, Father, and to a partaking of your life. That there be in the church an increase in the number of priests, religious, and lay persons who, consecrated as apostles of social communication, will make the message of salvation resound throughout the world. That all those who work within the framework of social communication may grow in holiness and wisdom and bear witness to an authentic Christian life. That the undertakings of Catholics within the sphere of social communication may continually increase so that by promoting more effectively genuine human and Christian values, the voice of error and evil will be counteracted. That well aware of our insufficiency and unworthiness, we may realize the need to draw near the font of life, in all humility, and trust and be nourished with your word, Father, and with the body of Christ, invoking light, love, and mercy for all men and women. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To catch future episodes of the Heart Speaks to Heart podcast, be sure to check us out at threeheartshomestead.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, and more by looking for Three Hearts Homestead. Lastly, be sure to check out our Locals community at threeheartshomestead.locals.com for more exclusive content. And be sure to tune in for future conversations like this one between Maddie and I as heart speaks to heart. God bless and have a good day.
Secula, secula.